1: Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. I'm Liz Gill, and I'm with Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Hello, Professor Gershon.
2: Good morning, Liz. It's you know exciting to be here, and you know the uh, technology has definitely affected all our lives during the pandemic, and there's no question about that. In fact, um, I think it probably has done away with the snow day, and proof of that is that we have uh, our associate dean Stacy Lantain with us on the show today, and she is in New England right now um, and still able to come in to to work, uh, even though it's uh, deep. She's got deep snow around her. Good morning, Stacy. It's always great to have you on the show. Would you please remind morning. us. Good morning. Would you please remind us, uh, you know, how you got involved in and in, interested in intellectual property law, which is our topic for today?
0: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. I am delighted to be here. Um, we do have snow, but I think we're going to see a revolt on the lack of snow days. I think I think people are going to start to say, "Just let the kids play." So I I'm going to place my bet right now that next year we'll see the return of snow days. Um, As far as intellectual property goes, I went to law school having no idea what I wanted to do, but I um, am a reader and a writer. I'm a creative writer myself. And so I had a professor who said, if you like books, you should look into copyright law as an area of practice. And so that's how I ended up practicing intellectual property, which is copyright, trademark, and patent law. Um, And I did practice patent law, but my my field of scholarship is related mostly to copyrights and trademarks and um i started out writing about fan fiction and fan art on the internet and so i was spending a lot of time on the internet and um really enjoying internet memes and so i've also started publishing some scholarship in the area of internet memes as well
2: well, you are also a published author in your own right, as you mentioned, and um, you um, have appeared on NPR on several interviews. So we're really lucky to have you. I, I want, you know, part of uh, it's fun to do this show is because, uh, you know, we get to see all the great resources we have connected with the University of Mississippi and you know, the lawyers in the state as well. So thank again. Thank you for being here. And, you know, so we, t- we talk about, you know, creativity and I, I didn't know what TikTok was until uh, my daughter started to Send me videos, and and you know, and I and I, you know, I, I didn't really get it at first, but now I kind of see the creativity. So there are a lot of a lot of creativity happening right now. How how do people protect their things like TikTok videos uh, that they've created?
0: You know, so stuff put on social media is always really interesting because most of the time when you are putting your stuff up there, you want people to interact with you, right? Especially on TikTok. TikTok, you are participating in kind of this global conversation, right? I don't know if your daughter was doing the sea shanty stuff, but a lot of people have been doing sea shanty things on TikTok right now. Um my sister has a TikTok, and she is always doing the latest dance craze, right? And so you're putting your TikTok videos up, hoping that you get interaction, hoping that you spark people to, to interact with you. And so a lot of the people putting up TikTok videos, um, it's not that they're not worried about protecting it, but that's not what they're thinking about when they put it up there, right? They just want to participate in a conversation with their friends, and so they put this creative thing up online. Um, When you put your stuff on social media, you generally, by the terms of the social media provider, grant a license for everybody else on the social media to interact with your whatever you've put up there. Like, that's how social media works, right? So it would be weird if you tweeted something and you blocked everyone else from retweeting it. You could do that, but that's not how that platform functions in our understanding. And so... My would be, if you don't want people interacting with your stuff, don't put it up on social media or do it in a way that you can lock it down, right? Like some social media will let you lock things better than other forms of social media. You can lock your Facebook down a little bit. You can have a locked Twitter. Um, If someone takes your creative um, endeavor from social media and sort of moves it into a different place, right, and starts maybe monetizing somewhere else, Um, that could be problematic, right? That then maybe because they're off the terms of the the social media site, then you might be able to issue some kind of DMCA notice for your copyright. But the other wrinkle I just want to introduce in that is a lot of TikTok videos are already using other people's intellectual property within the TikTok videos. And so you are limited to what you have added and you people are extremely creative with tiktok videos but it's always very complicated because there's lots of interlocking intellectual property interests there right like you use someone else's song you're using someone else's dance moves maybe that might be copyrightable to a certain extent and the other thing i want to just quickly mention is ideas aren't copyrightable so sometimes we see a lot of people say oh, you know, that was my idea. I put it up on TikTok first. But you can't copyright an idea. So to say it's your idea doesn't really get you very far in intellectual property law.
1: But Mississippians are very creative. So if you would like to know how to protect your ideas, your writing, your art, your memes, or whatever you accept your ideas, how you can protect your uh Intellectual property. Today is the day for you to email in because Professor Stacy Langtang is our guest. Legal terms at mpbonline.org. Uh, Professor Langtang, you were talking about you know not getting credit for uh, TikTok, and I guess it's not a legal issue, but there was some talk of cultural appropriation where I- individuals of one ethnic group were. Creating something but it was being made famous by people of another ethnic group. But that's not a that's not a legal issue, is it? Well,
0: it is to the extent that we should worry about how the legal structure we have in place is perpetuating this kind of systemic inequality and exploiting the creativity of certain um people of color or uh, gender minorities um, without compensation because, and the reason I say that is because very often what we see happening is, um, you know, a, a black creative artist will have this extraordinary TikTok that goes viral, and then it will get monetized by big corporation and it will end up enriching right, all of the white people who are the stockholders in this, in this big corporation. I'm grossly overgeneralizing there. But it's just something that I think we should be thinking about more in... So when I was saying that you don't own an idea, this is a concept that is called the idea expression dichotomy in copyright law. You don't own ideas. You own your particular expression of that idea. So... I don't own the idea of a romantic novel, but I own the romantic novel that I wrote because that is my particular expression of the idea of a romantic novel. And everyone else can write their own expressions of that idea. Where we draw that idea expression line can be really tricky. And that that is a matter of law to think about that. Are we sometimes drawing it in such a way that excludes contributions of, of um, more vulnerable and less powerful members of society? So that is something to think about. We have a call this morning. We're going to go
1: to John in Madison. John, thank you so much for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your intellectual property question or comment? Thanks, Liz.
3: Um, uh, this is a silly question, I guess, but... Uh, I think you may have just touched on it a little bit. Uh, When we download recipes off the Internet, used to you would just um, search for, you know, chicken soup, and and you'd pull up a recipe and print it. And now you have to read a fairly long essay on why uh, they came up with this recipe and all that kind of stuff. And I had heard somebody said once that they had added all that stuff so they could protect their recipe with copyright law where they couldn't have done that before. Is that true?
0: Yeah. So this is not a silly question at all. This is, this is, um, it it does go to the heart of what I was just talking about, about what you can own and what you cannot own. So copyright has this thing called the merger doctrine. And what it says is that you cannot own under copyright something that there are only limited ways of expressing that idea and so recipes are a really good example of that right so to make chicken soup there's a limited number of ways to make chicken soup it's probably going to have chicken in it right it's probably going to have some kind of broth um there's a limited number of ways to explain to people boil this is where i'm going to betray that i don't know how to make chicken soup but there's limited kinds of ways to convey to people boil things chop the chicken right saute whatever because there are just certain words that we use to say boil it would be ridiculous to give someone ownership over the word boil and force the next person to say bring the water to 212 degrees fahrenheit and then force the next person to say get the water hot enough that it starts bubbling right that makes no sense so what we let people own with recipes is um is is very, very limited because of the fact that we don't want anyone to own the way that you make chicken soup. And so all of those recipe blogs, it would be really hard for them to assert ownership over the recipe for chicken soup because of this, this problem that I've just talked about. So, yeah, all of the narrative that they add to that, that is is what they can really own, right? Like that's what's unique to them. That is what is original about their expression of the chicken soup recipe. You don't have to talk about how your dad made you chicken soup every day when you came home from school in order to share the recipe for chicken soup. So that's the part of it that is much more protectable and, and straightforwardly copyrightable for them. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, so I could just download the recipe without all the narrative and be, and be fine.
0: Um yeah I would so you're I mean you're not you're, you you want to make the recipe right is that what you're trying to do Sure sure yeah, so I'm not giving legal advice, but that's what the recipe's up there for. Totally feel okay making the recipe, right? Like that's that's what we're supposed to be using recipes for. Could you, you know, copy all of these recipes and put them in a book and start selling it? I would be a little bit worried about doing that because although they don't have much copyright, we would give them copyright protection over all of their recipes being copied and being sold by other people, I think. But in terms of saving them for yourself in a file somewhere so you can cook at home, you know, families have been doing that stuff for generation. I'm thinking about all of the newspaper clippings from like 1960 that my grandmother cut out that we still make those cookies. You know, like that's what you do with recipes. And so I I wouldn't worry too much about that. I would worry if you're going to start selling these recipes. John, that was just perfect. Thank you so much. And if a recipe
1: does not have jump to recipe, I'm clicking off of it because I don't got time for all that video story business. (laughs) You can send us an email with your questions about intellectual property or anything else. And we'll get to that when we get to that. Our email address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing how to protect your your creative expressions, what images you could use for a meme, because Mississippians are such an artistic bunch. We're going to tell you some news about award-winning artists from our state. Next, you're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is in legal terms. Not everyone has a chance to listen to our whole show live. If you've missed any of our program, you can find the show at inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill here with Professor Richard Gershen from the University of Mississippi School of Law the 2021 governor's arts awards ceremony is going to take place in a broadcast only format which will be aired February in, in this month on MPB the presentation of the 33rd Governor Arts Awards will be on TV, February Friday, the 19th at 8 p.m., and we'll be having it on Think Radio Sunday at 5 p.m. So I'm sure all of these artists know how to protect their intellectual property, which is our topic today with Professor Stacy Langtang. And we have two calls to get to. First, we're going to go to Jerry in Rankin County. Jerry, we're so glad you've called in to illegal. Terms today. What's your intellectual property comment or question?
3: Uh, this is a question for the professor. I'm in the process of finishing up a historical narrative or memoir, if you will, and I'm using uh, newspaper photos that I collected through the years. And I have received permission by either monetarily buying them, you know, with the, uh, uh, materials released, or verbally saying yes, you can use those. Well. There's a couple of photos that, that, uh, that I randomly found that are. I wanted to get an artist to do a sketch of. Copyright-wise, where, copyright where do I stand using that sketch from the artist I know? Yeah,
0: that's so that, that's a good question. Um, photographs are copyrighted. But because photographs display factual situations a lot of the times, right? Like, so if the photograph is a picture of me, it's going to look like me generally. Um, This is another instance, like with recipes, where sometimes arguments can be made that the photographer owns the photograph, but doesn't own what I look like, right? And so if someone wants to draw what I look like and use the photograph as a basis um that can sometimes be okay under the doctrine of fair use right that you are not really taking much that is copyrightable about the photograph you're really just taking facts you are transforming it in some way because it is no longer just a photograph you are making some sort of art out of it um I fair use is like super unpredictable but that would be the doctrine that I would turn to we've also got a few cases about this Um, so for instance Shepard Fairey who um, did the Obama hope poster he based that drawing on an AP photograph of Barack Obama and so there were discussions there about um, whether or not that was okay to do Um, and really what he he got in trouble for was um trying to cover up that he had done that which i never recommend that you uh try to cover things like that up um and we also have other cases where people have used photographs of politicians and copied them for like caricature purposes and things like that right and that has been um found to be fair use in those circumstances so fair use is always unpredictable but um that's how that's how it operates
3: all right well thank you very much that's very helpful
0: great jerry we're glad that we could
1: help you now let's see if we can help william who has called in from carthage william thanks for calling in to in legal terms what's your intellectual property comment or question
3: yes uh this one i guess is for the professor too i wrote a uh salacious uh sea shanty uh, called The uh, the Saga of Jimmy Jellywink. And uh, what I was trying to figure out is, it, how can I capitalize on this thing, you know? I mean, it's original.
0: Right. So that, I mean, that's, that's in a way kind of a different question, right? So I can tell you that because... You know, it's original to you, and you've written the thing. It's protected by copyright. You've got it. It's in your pocket. All you have to do to be protected by copyright is create something original um, and actually write it down in some way. Um, so you've got the copyright. In terms of capitalizing on it, that's another question entirely. And and one of the things that comes up all the time, right, is what actually is the market for all of these TikTok videos and things of that nature, right? Like what. What what is there to to monetize in that instance? Um, so that I can't really help you with from a legal perspective how to capitalize on it, but I can tell you that you have your copyright. Um, it 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 exists as soon as you write the sea shanty down. So you've got it. It's there. Um, so you've got control over it. What you do with it after this is kind of both up to you. And a matter of chance Um, in much the same way, you know, I write novels and I've got novels sitting on my computer right now that I haven't sold yet. They belong to me. No one else can sell them. But what I choose to do with them is a matter both of my going out and doing something with them and also write a little bit of luck as to whether or not anybody wants to do like read them.
3: Okay. Uh, Yeah, somebody had told me a long time ago that the minute you start writing on your computer, it makes a digital, you know, that's your digital fingerprint, and so therefore, you know, to that extent, you're you're covered, right?
0: Yeah, you've got a copyright, yeah, Um, and they are correct that that has always been the law, but it is it's almost, um, easier in the modern era because of the digital nature of things, right? Like it is, we do have metadata on these files that show us that you wrote it and when you wrote it and all that kind of stuff, um, much more easily than at any other time in history where it would have just been, you know, like long written down and someone would have had to testify about when you did it and all this other kind of stuff. At least we have the metadata now. So that does make it easier.
3: Okay, well, uh, I don't want to monopolize your time, but uh, I developed the machine several years ago for cutting uh, insulated worms for ships. And I, and I had pitched that, you know, at, at, a, at a shipyard in Gagula, I'm not going to mention the name. But it really never went anywhere. As oh, What what would that entail? A, uh, I guess a, a working uh, patent or something?
0: Yeah, that an invention is covered by the patent laws. So that's different copyright covers, works of creativity, like songs, like books. Um, inventions things that have utility, right, in our world, that is covered by patent laws. Um, okay. uh, so so that would be a different system and that you do need to apply for a patent in order to get patent protection. That is different from copyright law that protects you um, as soon okay. as it is conceived. If you want patent protection, you have to apply for a patent with the patent office and and that's a process, yeah.
3: What about uh, what about the uh, the write up all, all the, the written uh, you know the narrative the description all, all of that that was written it, that that's copyrighted immediately
4: right or not?
0: Right. So things that are that are narratives that are written down, you're right. Those are copyrighted as soon as they are written down. Um, the The challenge for some things might be like the recipe issue, right? That um, if there's not a lot that is. Um, you know, that is creative about it, that there's only a few ways of describing how this machine works. It might be a very thin copyright. But yeah, you can have a situation where more than one area of IP is intersecting with each other, right? Where... And this happens all the time, where there's like a patent covering our cell phones, but there's a copyright covering the instruction manuals that go with our cell phones. And there's a trademark that is covering the way that the cell phone looks, right? So yes, you can have multiple um, IP regimes interacting.
3: Oh, okay. So in a sense, I just, I I have part part of it, protection, but not the entire thing.
0: right. Right, because each, each IP will just take care of itself. Right, exactly.
1: Okay, thank
3: you very much.
1: Thanks,
0: William. We appreciate you
1: calling in to, in legal terms. I told you, folks, Mississippians are creative, and they want to protect their creative endeavors. Remember, Stacy can't give you legal advice, but she can tell you what the law is. So if you kind of got a lengthy question, go ahead and just email that to us. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We've got another William. This one is in Starkville. William in Starkville, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms today. What's your intellectual property comment or question?
5: Um. I didn't hear at the beginning of your program. I hope you haven't already covered this, but I was interested if you might comment on some of the unusual uh, patents or, or, or uh, uh, restrictions on on genomic or g- genetic material that we hear of occasionally in the uh, uh, in the in the news that. Uh, it seems unusual. Uh, I don't want to dwell on the on the woman whose cancer cells are still being reproduced and used for for research 50 or 60 years after after she passed. But uh, I just wondered if there if you can delve into that a bit to give us some perspective on how researchers are able to patent some aspect of uh, of genetic uh, uh, information from samples of either animals or humans?
0: Thanks, William. Yeah, so this is um, not entirely my area of expertise, but I can say that they cannot patent um, your DNA. So we do have a ruling from the Supreme Court. This was around um, the, the breast cancer gene. And tests for the breast cancer gene and the Supreme Court said that no one can own your genetic material, that that is not a thing that can happen under the intellectual property laws. Now, could something happen with a contractual arrangement, right, where you give permission to people to use your genetic genetic material in some way? yes, that does happen. Um, I think also my understanding, um, is that historically there has been exploitation without permission of some people's genetic material. Um, and that is, that's a different question and not really intellectual property, right? So intellectual property would not let you own someone else's genetic material. You can own synthetic DNA. Um, I don't know quite enough about the science to tell you what the difference is there. And to be honest, I'm not sure the Supreme Court knows enough about the science to fully tell you the difference there. Um, but I do know that um, they, they can't take your DNA and own it um, and, and do stuff with it. Now, for services like 23andMe, Right. You are giving them permission to do things with your genetic material. So, again, that's not intellectual property law. That's part of the contract in the terms of use with 23andMe or I think Ancestry runs those DNA things. So any of those tests are governed by the terms of use. And if you read through the terms of use, you will see that you can opt-in and opt-out of certain, you know, medical experiments that they're running, certain information that they're gathering, right? Like, you have the control to do that. Um, And also the same thing when you go to the doctor, um... I know that the doctor will sometimes say, like, do you want to participate in this kind of trial? And really what the doctor needs is just to be able to take your blood and take the blood to the trial, right? Like, they don't actually need you for, for the situation. So that's all a matter of contract, I would say, and not intellectual property stuff.
2: And isn't it, like, really biomedical ethics, too, is a, different,
0: yes, a whole yeah.
1: different
3: area.
0: yeah. Thank you, William. We appreciate you
1: calling in. I think it's sweet that attorneys think we read the terms of use on any of the, the things that we click on on the internet.
0: I don't read the terms <laughs> of use either, but when my mother wanted to do 23andMe, I did read the terms of use for that because I wanted to know like what was happening with everything. So That's, the only, that's why that's the only one I could really talk about. <laughs> We've
1: uh, got full phone lines, but we'd love for you to email us your questions. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Professor Stacy Lantang about intellectual property. What are your favorite memes? Do you have one to share with us? Ooh, you could email that to us so that we could look at it and put it up on the information for this website. What was the first meme main? meme made will tell you what i found out you're listening to in legal terms on mpb think radio To in legal terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We hope that you'll subscribe to our podcast. Lots of different podcasting platforms. I happen to like Podcast Addict. If you've got an Apple phone, you've already got a podcasting platform on your phone. You download one to your phone, touch the plus, take you to the page to search for podcasts, then type in in legal terms in the search area. It'll bring us up. You just touch on the photo and you can subscribe to be notified when any new episodes are loaded up. This morning, we we're talking about intellectual property with our creative Mississippians and with our guest, University of Mississippi School of Law professor, associate dean, Stacy Lantang. Now, the could the first meme be from 100 years ago? That was one that I found from 1920. It was a how you think you look sketch versus a how you really look sketch, which was not anywhere near as attractive as the other one. I'll have a link to that image on the information for this show. We've got a couple of calls to get to, so let's go to David in Philadelphia. David, thank you so much for calling in with your intellectual property question or comment. Go ahead.
4: Uh,
3: now, uh, I write poetry and Music, and I uh, also have inventions and even clothes design. And uh, I have. I write it down on a piece of paper, put it in the letter, and mail it to myself. Is that one of the best ways to do a what you call a poor man's copyright?
0: Yeah. So that is an um, an en- an enduring story that people tell about the poor man's copyright. I think that it used to be maybe a big deal prior to the digital era where people might have a difficult time establishing when they had written something. And so putting it in an envelope and mailing it to yourself puts a postmark on it and there's a date and it's very hard to dispute, right? That that thing was written on that date. Um, in the digital era, because everything, I mean, maybe you are still writing by hand and if you are, maybe you would be worried that, um, you you don't have a date or time stamp on there um but if you are using uh, an electronic device of any sort your phone your computer or anything it is keeping track of when you wrote it right like it's all in the metadata and so i think that we don't have that proof issue that i think people used to worry about previously um that was never how you got protection your protection always existed as soon as you wrote the thing down the idea behind the envelope and i am just surmising um but I'm thinking that it was because people wanted to be able to prove the date that they had actually written something down and that that's why they started to do that. Um, it, it doesn't really provide copyright protection that happens when you're writing it down. That's, that's just, that's just how it works. The, the envelope is, is I think just like extra peace of mind, maybe for the person sending it, that they will be able to point to when it was, it was written. But if you are writing on your computer, your computer is going to keep track of when it was written. So I don't think you really need to worry so much about that also if you were really worried you could email it to yourself right and that would be almost like putting it in an envelope because none of these things actually are for copyright purposes they're just for kind of if you're worried that someone's going to um i don't know i guess if you're just worried that someone's going to say that you didn't write it on the date when you wrote it now you have proof that you did
1: Thank you, David. We appreciate you calling in to ask that. We're going to now go to Moselle and speak with Beverly. Beverly, thank you for calling in to In Legal Terms. What's your comment or question about intellectual property? Well, I think it's regarding uh, copyright infringement, maybe. I notice sometimes when I go to a flea market, people have taken, say, for example, celebrity um, Obama, et cetera, and they have, put it, they have put that image on purses or other stuff and are selling and they're making money. And I'm wondering, shouldn't this person get a royalty from that? I mean, I, I, I'm sure they don't know about this, but I, I'm curious how that works and if, and if that is an infringement of copyright law.
0: Yeah, so there's two things at issue here. Um, and one would be the copyright in the original photograph of the celebrity, right? That is being made into a purse or whatever that might be. Um, courts are kind of split on whether or not that is copyright infringement. Um, we had a ruling a few years ago now that seemed to imply um, that that might be a derivative work right, which is one of the rights that belongs to copyright holders, that you're taking that copyrighted work and you are turning it into something else and that that should belong to the copyright holder. But we've also had arguments that this is a type of fair use because you are dramatically transforming the underlying photograph into something completely different. And so that's outside the scope of the copyright holder's rights. And so um, I would say that that is not a point of clarity in the law and that there are arguments on both sides. The other wrinkle being introduced here Um, is, I think, the celebrity themselves, right? That they might have some kind of publicity right. They um, might not own the copyright to the photograph because they would have to have... had the photographer assign the copyright to them. And so then they wouldn't be able to allege copyright infringement. The best that they could allege would be some kind of publicity right, which would be a misappropriation of their right to market themselves and to commercialize themselves. Um, and that, that might be problematic. Um, I'm not entirely sure that it's really worth it to like kylie jenner to like go after people in flea markets selling pocketbooks with her image on it um but i think that maybe that might be you know a cause of action she could possibly try to bring on that point
1: Thank you so much. Beverly, we appreciate you calling in. We're going to now go to Sue in Beaumont. Sue, thanks for calling in to In Legal Terms. What is your comment or question on intellectual
4: property? Well, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I I have posted several original poems that I've written on Facebook, and my sister said, well, you better uh, put some kind of copyright notice at the end of it Post that you write, you know, because somebody could just take your poetry. So, uh, so how would you protect your your intellectual property on Facebook?
0: Yeah, so a copyright notice is not required for protection it is nice to do though it does give you um, some extra like it's like getting like a bonus at, like on like a slot machine at a casino like it gives you a little bit of an extra push but you don't you don't need the the notice to be protected but it's nice to have it it's not a bad thing to do um, when you have stuff up on Facebook I will just say that it's very difficult to fully control it once it's posted on the internet um you you can't guarantee that people aren't going to cut and paste it and use it in their own way are they allowed to do that legally probably not depending on a lot of questions about what they're actually doing with it but just as a practical matter, right? Like, and not a legal matter. It's just you lose control of things when you put them up on the internet. And I don't mean to discourage you, right? Like, the that's a personal choice for, for everyone. Um, I think everybody decides whether they feel that they need to hold their works closer to their vest or whether they're happy with putting them out there and seeing what people do with them. Um, but I think that the copyright notice You know, it doesn't give you copyright protection, but it is a thing, as I said, that gives you a little bit of a bonus.
4: I I just put my name down at the end of the the year that it was written, you know, but that's not really, that doesn't do any good, does it?
0: Um, well, you know, like that's that shows that it has an author and that it's that they, that we know which date it was written. And what I will say is that that's a lot more than we know about a lot of other copyrighted works that are drifting around in society at the moment. So that's the reason why that's helpful is because. um It helps to know like how old something is. It helps to know who to contact if you want permission to use the particular work. Um, All of that is helpful in copyright land. The easier you can make it for people to find you then the more likely it is that people will actually ask you for permission before they do something with your work. Not everyday users, but I would think that you're really worried about someone monetizing it, right, and making a big deal about it and putting it on, I don't know, like postcards or something without your permission. That kind of, like, corporate user um, will often try to contact the person if if it's easy for them to do so, I think. That's sort of, like, just kind of anecdotal from watching stuff going on thank you sue i I wonder if it would be easy if she typed
1: it out and then took a picture of it and then posted the image and then it'd be a little harder to cut and paste to take the works but yes people often do things that are not legal (laughs) And that's why we
0: have this show, especially on the Internet. And also legality isn't clear a lot, especially on the Internet. Um, As I said, fair use protects a lot of stuff going on, but it's super unpredictable. And so it's really hard to ever say that's fine. That's not fine because of the way that the law works. So I don't want to say that everyone on the Internet is scoff laws. I think that a lot of it is gray areas.
1: Janet and Jay, hang on. We'd love for you to send us your questions by email because we're running out of time. Legalterms at mpbonline.org is our email address. Do you have a favorite parody songs? I'm going to tell you mine when we get back. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show, in inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. It's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are all our local shows. I'm Liz Gill, here with Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. When it comes to parody artists, there are lots of individuals, but my favorite since the 80s is Weird Al Yankovic and I love the song The Saga Begins, which parodies Don McLean's song American Pie, which, if you are listening to this on the podcast, you will not hear that clip, because I will take it out, because we do not have the rights to it, but I think it's okay if I can play a snippet of it over broadcast air, but you can't go back and get the recording of it. Anyway, that's what I'm told to do, so that's what I do. Let's go uh, to uh, Janet. In Starkville, Janet, do you have a question for our guest, Professor Stacy Lintang? We're talking about intellectual property today.
4: Uh, yes, I. Uh, it just occurred to me, actually, that um, if the person who may not have access to a computer would like to document that they are the originator of their ideas, uh, couldn't they just take a picture with a cell phone? It does not even have to be a cell phone that is uh, connected or is uh, in use for other things. Because if you buy the 1995 self, 1999 maybe, cell phone, the camera will activate even after the uh, time is out for the uh, uh, actual cell phone use. And so you can have pictures on a dedicated cell phone and uh, that seems that that would hold up better than the uh uh mailing it to yourself because someone you you know someone could allege that someone has tampered with the envelope and put extra stuff inside or something but it would still i believe leave a time and date stamp
0: Right, yeah. And so none of that is, is again, necessary to have the copyright protection. But yes, if you're worried about that, yeah, just take even, you know, anything that would give you that kind of... Um, evidence right so it doesn't have to be a phone it could be a regular digital camera it could be a regular film camera that has the date on the bottom right um, again not necessary to have copyright protection but yeah that that could help establish right that that you had it in your in existence on such and such a date
4: it, it just seemed easier that that would be better than having to feel that they had to go to the public library and type it in because not everyone in Mississippi has a computer mm-hmm. Okay, that was just my only comment. Thank you very much.
1: Thanks, Janet. We love that suggestion, and we appreciate you calling in to In Legal Terms.
2: Yeah, and I think you know I know like I, I think in terms of real property like my land and I you know I own my land I have a deed I don't need to put a fence around my land I can and that kind of demarks it a little bit better and you know that's you know I'm, I'm I, it's hard for me to get my arms around all this, the intellectual property stuff because that's so global um, but you know Stacey let's talk about you you are an expert uh, in memes you've done uh, scholarship on memes you've been asked to talk about it Again, you published an article called famous on the internet this spectrum of internet memes and, and the legal challenge of evolving methods of communication. Tell us a little bit about you know, why you got interested in scholarship on memes.
0: Um, I feel like I love memes and, you know, I, I went into intellectual property. I told the story about how I love books and I do love books, but I also feel like humans are such creative Um, Individuals, And I really wanted to help protect creativity. And I think memes are so creative. Like, that's the best of humanity, I think, on an internet meme. And so much of the internet is not fun. I want to figure out, like, I want to think about memes. And no one else, um, I don't want to say no one else, but there wasn't a lot of stuff out there that was focusing on memes specifically. Um, And so I thought, uh, well, I love memes. Like, let me look into the copyright implications around them. And I think, you know, one of the things that I feel like I've discovered and I've written a few articles about memes now is I don't think that our laws are super well set up to deal with with the phenomenon of memes because memes by their very nature um have everyone jumping in on the collaborative boat right like everyone is participating in this everyone is spinning the memes off and when we think of creativity i think we often think of you know the one person writing a novel the one person writing a song and with internet memes what i think is really great about them is a meme can't exist in a vacuum independently. One person can't write a meme. You need to have other people jump onto your meme to make it a meme. And so I think that's what's really interesting about memes.
2: Well, you know, there's a great meme uh, using Bernie Sanders' picture at the presidential inauguration going around, and that's kind of the one that's become viral lately. So, I mean, does somebody own that original image of him? And, And do they have any protection rights?
0: I mean, there is an original photographer who owns the copyright in that image of Bernie Sanders, and um, he's given interviews. You can find interviews with him. Um, He does have the copyright to that photograph. That is undeniable that he he has that. Is it practical for him to pull it down everywhere it's shown up on the Internet at this point? I mean, he'd have to spend, I think, his entire life doing that, right? Like there's like it's everywhere right now. Um, And that's what's so interesting about memes is, yes, there is an underlying copyright in that photograph. There's also a copyright in the photographs of all the things that he's been inserted into Bernie Sanders. Right. Like so when you see him sitting, you know, with the Golden Girls on a still like someone owns the copyright to the Golden Girls. Right. And so um, you've got a bunch of copyright implications in there and no real clarity about. Do we want that to be a situation where we, we take that meme out of circulation because of those copyright complications?
2: You've said in, uh, on previous shows, and I think this is so important for people to know, I mean, really, I mean, the copyright laws actually help to uh, engender creativity as opposed to restrict it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: So, I mean, well, what about this? How do people look? We don't have a lot of time left, but the the Internet is so vast. And so, you know, it crosses international borders. I mean, like I said, with my my land, I, I know where it is. I can see it. I can protect it. How do I protect this property right that's going all over the world? How do I keep people in China from using it inappropriately or other countries? It's,
0: it's hard. Um, this is what I was saying, that if you truly want to protect something, once it's on the Internet, it's going to be hard to keep control of that. We do have a law called the DMCA that will allow you fairly easily to submit a notice if your copyrighted work has shown up on, um, like, Twitter or Tumblr or, you know, Facebook without your permission, YouTube uh... And so we have that, but finding that is another thing entirely, right? Like once it spirals out of control, playing whack-a-mole to take all of this stuff off of Facebook is is a full-time job in and of itself.
1: Professor Lang Tang, we need you back for about three more hours. This is going to wrap <laughs> us up for today's In Legal Terms. Thank you, Michelle McAdoo. She has been fantastic for our show today. And for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from his living room, relatively, near the university of mississippi's school of law i'm liz gill we hope you'll join us next tuesday at 10 a.m for in legal terms on mpb think radio
0: this is an mpb think radio podcast